parents hanging half a hundred on them at Owen Field. Or the run rules on the Diamond at Love's Field. We're giving you the breakdowns, the bets, and the hot takes from the perspective of two former OU Athletics employees. You're listening to the Mainline Podcast with Tyler Burton and Adam Jaquez. Let's go! Let's go! 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 Let's go. It's the Mainline Podcast. He's Tyler Burton. I'm Adam Jaquez. I don't know where we even begin here. OU really just uh, drops a really ugly game in Lawrence, Kansas, comes back, and now they got to turn around and go back on the road against a surging Oklahoma State team. Tyler, where do we go with this game? There's a lot of different directions that we can go uh, for all of our listeners out there, both on YouTube and in the car or in the gym, listening to it on your uh, on your iPhone. Highly encourage if you've got the kids around you, I want to be a little careful. This There's no telling that with this episode, it could go off the rails, a little bit of profanity, trying to make sense of what we saw uh, yesterday between Oklahoma and Kansas. Adam, we're 24 hours later. I've rewatched the game about one and a half times. And yeah, I mean, it's just... the. the I don't know. Where do you want to start? This is Oklahoma's first loss to Kansas since 1997. You and I were, you know, just walking at that point in time. It's been that long since Oklahoma, uh, you know, surrendered defeat to the Kansas Jayhawks. But, yeah, I mean, I I think that at this point, when you look at this game, obviously we're going to touch on all of it. We're going to go offense, defense. We're going to talk about the coaching. The coaching decisions and the game plan is kind of where I'm going to have my biggest – frustrations with this coaching staff and with Oklahoma's performance on Saturday. But yeah, just kind of steer us in the direction you want to go and we'll, uh, we'll try to keep the blood pressure at a relatively hot, uh, healthy yeah. level. The last four years for Oklahoma football have been pretty humbling ever since uh, Jalen Hurts left Oklahoma. Really uh, in 2020, you had the back-to-back losses in the big 12 for the first time since, I don't know, last 13 years or whatever that was probably even before that uh, really 20 years uh, since Bob Stoops came to town. Uh, and then you had, you know, seven losses last year, a lot of records broken again. Uh, and then yesterday against Kansas, we saw the first loss to the Jayhawks since 1997, like you mentioned. Now, I, I think that's kind of media hype of trying to, pump that game up as like a bigger upset than it actually was. I think the line finished around eight and a half for OU. So it wasn't a crazy upset. We all knew Kansas was a good program, but despite how good they might be, it's still something that they hadn't beaten OU in many, many years. They hadn't beaten a top 10 team in many, many years. And so it's kind of like a validating victory, I guess, for the Jayhawks. But we all respected and knew that this was a dangerous team, but still hurts. still hurts when those records that before you and I even knew what football was really uh, was uh, was broken yesterday. And I think we kind of have to start with the play calling side of things from Jeff Levy. It's, it's what everybody's talking about on Twitter. We got tons of responses on there about how he should be fired, bring Kel Gundy back. Um, obviously, we're all emotional after a game like that. And here we are more than 24 hours later, and I kind of thought, okay, maybe as things kind of settle in and I digest it, I don't want to be the fan that calls out play calling because that's very easy to do. Just seeing, you know, in hindsight, 2020, hey, that call didn't work. So that was the wrong play call. But so many times, uh, you know, it was telegraphed. It was, we all knew what was coming. It was, he was just not, you know, very good situationally. Jeff Levy wasn't. And here I am, you know, after letting everything settle in and digest, and I'm still kind of in the same place I was right uh, as the game finished was that, man, Jeff Levy really, really stunk yesterday and that's putting it nicely yeah i mean adam i was genuinely shocked and concerned 
I think concerned is probably the biggest word now, 24 hours later, with how Jeff Levy called this game on Saturday and, you know, how he could potentially call games moving forward, especially with the trip up to Stillwater on Saturday. But, I mean, there was zero aggressiveness with Jeff Levy's game plan on, on Saturday. Maybe you can chalk that up to the fact that, you know, Dylan Gabriel's first pass, first play of the game, you know, he missed a wide-open Austin Stogner. Two plays later, you know, he throws a pick six. I – to me, I, I don't really know, and Adam, we can we can dive into this. Here we are sitting eight – we've completed eight games of Oklahoma's regular season, and I still have absolutely zero clue what the what the identity is of this offense. I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, we've, we've played eight games right now, and I don't feel like we've seen the same, same game plan, same, you know, same type of attack from, from this Oklahoma offense over the course of the first two months of the season. I'm not sure why that is. You've obviously, you know, got a Heisman caliber level quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. Offensive line's been kind of hit and miss. We'll dive into that here in just a second. But you've got really good skill talent out on, on, out on the perimeter. But for me, the, the biggest problem that I have coming out of this game on Saturday, and it is the coaching decisions, uh, whether it's personnel, whether it's schematics, whether it's certain play calls throughout the course of the game. And it didn't take long, Adam. It took, you know, within the first minute for us to really have our first head-scratching decision for Jeff Levy, you know, calling the game on Saturday. You know, first play of the game. Okay, you throw an incomplete pass to Austin Stogner. That sets you up at second and ten. First carry of the game goes to Gavin Sawchuk. He reels off eight, nine uh, yards, you know, doesn't even get touched all the way until, you know, the uh, seven yards um, making the, you know, third down and two, third and one. And after, you know, after you have a successful carry like that, where we knew going into this game that Kansas was going to be very gettable, their run defense was piss poor, one of the worst in the Big 12 Conference, one of the worst collectively nationally. And, you know, you've got a third and one after picking up nine yards, and your game, and your call is to throw a hitch from the opposite hash all the way across the field to a Jalil Farouk. Keep it simple, stupid. I, t- I tweeted it out. Just hand the ball off. Keep the chains moving. If you can't pick up one yard against Kansas, then you know you probably shouldn't be you know playing football consistently at the Division One level. But yeah, zero aggressiveness. Zero aggressiveness in Lovey's game plan. Kansas defensively, most of this game either had seven a seven man box or they were playing their safeties. You know, inside of fifteen yards, they were they were just you know dingling the bait just challenging Oklahoma please we're 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 daring you to try to throw the ball deep down the field and this was just something that you know Oklahoma basically because of the play calling of the offensive coordinator just simply refused to do I think that Dylan Gabriel he threw what two or three passes longer than 10 yards all game long prior to that first drive or prior to that uh, that final drive in the fourth quarter six jet sweeps a couple of bubble screens a lot of quick game behind the line of scrimmage what are, what are we doing I just don't. I just don't know what the identity of this offense is. I don't know what the game plan was, and I just simply don't know what Jeff Levy was trying to accomplish as he was calling this game yesterday. You mentioned the offensive identity of not knowing what it is, and I've been kind of thinking about that question actually most of the season because in game one we saw OU come out against Arkansas State and play a lot of tackle over and run the ball pretty effectively on the Red Wolves. That went away. Haven't seen that since that very first game. I don't know why. Um, we saw some different things in SMU than we saw against Tulsa. And then here we are at, you know, against Kansas. And I don't know what the bread and butter play of this offense is. Maybe like a zone run, but like I really don't know what the bread and butter uh, go-to play is or, or go-to uh, strategy of, of this team is mm-hmm. because I guess maybe you could say like wide receiver screens or just screen <laughs> screen passes in general. Yeah. Um, because that's really all we saw Saturday. And it's, it's, I think OU leads the country. I think I saw that on Twitter somewhere that OU leads the country in 24% of passes uh, being behind the line of scrimmage. And, you know, I, I think 
there's definitely some limitations on this roster talent wise. We're not seeing a lot of tackles being broken by receivers or even running backs out of outside of Tawi Walker. So there is challenges there, I think. But at the same time, like you don't want to just run gimmicky plays all the time because you have better players than Kansas does. And I, I wonder in my mind, maybe this is kind of a far-fetched theory, Tyler, but check me on it if you, if you feel differently here, but I kind of wonder if the play calling is a little bit of a result of Brent Venables potentially here, because early on in the game, a couple drives, I think maybe two where before OU said, Hey, let's just commit to running the ball. And I was texting you in that moment and said, Brent Venables needs to take over for Jeff Levy and say, you're running the ball essentially. Mm -hmm. And at, after that point, that's basically what we saw. And I kind of wonder if Venables told him to do that. Um, but then Venables or, or Levy, I don't know. Someone should have said, Hey, like, all right, we calm things down. We've run the ball. Like let's sprinkle a little bit of pass in. We need a little bit more balance because we basically got the Cody Thomas, Samaj P. Ryan game plan from 2014 with a guy in Dylan Gabriel, who is clearly much more talented there. And I kind of wonder if situationally Venables should have said, Hey, before that final third down uh, with a chance to you know, ice the game, let's put the ball in Dylan Gabriel's hands. He didn't have to make the exact play call, but just say, hey, let's make our best player have the opportunity to make a play here. And I kind of wonder if Venables either should have or didn't or did, or, or maybe Venables made the call to, to run the ball there. I don't know, but I think that almost lands more on, on the head coach in some aspects. Yeah, I would agree with that. And, you know, we talked about it in the group chat over the course of the game um, that, you know, it almost kind of feels like at times Oklahoma – to. To no fault of the players, they figure out a way to get in their own way and shoot themselves in the foot to to play a brand of football that is the least efficient brand of offense as you could possibly do. And again, I know that we spotted them 14 points. Oklahoma found themselves down 14 nothing, you know, in the first quarter yesterday. But once you know Brent kind of got on the headset and say, "Hey, let's clean this up. Let's simplify. We're going to put Tawi Walker in. We're going to run the football uh, down these guys' throat in the second quarter." And they went on a 21 to 10 run. Uh, you know, to close out the second quarter, Tawi Walker. I mean, just looking, just looking at some of the drive charts, Adam. You go down the list here. Tawi Walker rush for five. Next play, nine yard gain. Next play, four yard gain. Dylan Gabriel runs for six yards. Tawi Walker punches it in. It, it almost kind of, it almost kind of feels like we we were not we were not okay with doing something so boring that is yet so effective. And maybe that's why we saw so many jet sweeps. Maybe that's why we saw, you know, Jalil Farouk try to get some carries out of the backfield. But at the end of the day, Tawi Walker and Gavin Sawchuk collectively combined that with the, the legs of Dylan Gabriel. They were finding successful, consistent ways to move the football on the ground against this KU front seven. And that was something that, that you know, we saw a little bit of adjustments with uh, with the offensive line group. Obviously, Caden Green got some run at the left guard position. Jacob Sexton found his way at left tackle. And there were a couple of drives in the second quarter with both of those guys on the field that OU really, you know, kind of asserted their will and, you know, asserted their dominance running the football. And then you you go into the halftime with a, uh, you know, with a lead and then you come right back out and it's right back to the same stuff that got you in trouble uh, at the beginning part of the game. So again, the, the basic fundamental 101 of an offensive coordinator finding ways to create matchups to where you can get the ball in the hands of your best players Give them an opportunity to make plays out in space and score points for you. For you, and when you just look at the chart, Adam, I mean, just just look at strictly the wide receiver position. Nick Anderson, probably the best performing, most talented wide receiver on this roster, with Andre Anthony being out. He had one target yesterday. 
and it was the one that was right over the middle of the field that he caught it in stride and it made a big play. Not one single time other than that one play did we try to force feed the ball to Nick Anderson, forcing him down the field. You can't tell me that a six foot four wide receiver that's got the speed and the elusiveness can't outrun those Kansas cornerbacks, and he did it time and time again on Saturday. Drake Stoops, four catches. Jalil Farouk only was able to get the ball in his hand three times catching the football. Uh, Brennan Thompson, one catch, one big play. Wish we could see a little bit more of that now that Anthony is gone. But I don't I don't know, Adam. I mean, for me, I don't want to just sit here and rip Jeff Levy, but w- what are we doing? It's Kansas. I don't care that you're I don't care that we've got, you know, a seven, eight man rotation on the offensive line. I don't care that we don't have uh, you know, a clear cut number one running back. To me, it's pretty clear cut who the best running back on this team is coming out of the game yesterday, but I just don't know what we're trying to do. I don't know I don't see us trying to scheme any of our best players to be open to where they can make some plays. I just simply don't know. I don't know what we're trying to accomplish. I don't know what this uh, coaching staff is trying to do on the offensive side of the ball. We can touch on all three position groups uh, outside of Emma Jones's crew because the wide receiver position to me ain't the problem. We can't figure out what we're doing on the offensive line. We're playing nine guys uh, during the, during the middle of a Kansas game. We can't figure out the the rotation on the running back position. You know, uh, Tawi Walker was really good yesterday. Gavin Sawchuk was able to find some success on the ground uh, sporadically over the course of the game, and then the biggest head scratching decision of it all adam the first time that we've seen javante barnes since the tulsa game in the non-con was in the final drive with the game on the line and we've seen time and time again same same uh same habits still struggles to read blocks and uh and see the holes and i just don't know what we're doing i really don't yeah it was really tough to see guys like barnes not put in a position to be successful but you mentioned a whole bunch of deficiencies about this offense. You know, you're, you're juggling lots of guys across the offensive line. It doesn't make sense. There's clearly some guys that are better than, better than others, but they're rotating. I don't know why you're doing that. You're making it much harder on yourself by doing that. Uh, you really aren't playing the uh, best running backs. The rotation there has not made sense mostly uh, the entire year. Dylan Gabriel, we're big fans of. We like him, but we know what he is. We know he has limitations. We know he's uh, you know, not the typical type of Oklahoma quarterback. That's not his fault. He's what we have right now. We have to scheme around what he's able to do and what he's not able to do. So there's limitations across the board for this offense. And yet, top seven in both total offense and scoring offense. There are people out there that are calling for Jeff Levy's head saying he should be fired for that. Is that is that crazy? Are those people crazy? I don't think you're... Cr- he shouldn't be fired, but I kind of the grace period... All of the uh, all of the extra string that we're giving him is the leash is kind of up at this point, in my personal opinion. And you know, Adam, we've talked about there's a lot of things that we don't understand about the offense of this uh, this game. I don't understand why Jalil Farouk was the guy running the ball in between the tackles, ultimately led to a fumble and a turnover. I don't understand why in critical situations on third and fourth down we keep calling jet sweeps to Gavin when it hasn't worked all season. Once we've gotten into conference play, I, I, Gavin is a really good player and he's going to have a really good career in Oklahoma. But he's not Percy Harvin. He's not Debo Samuel. He's not a good enough athlete to give to put him in a position where you are asking him to run a jet sweep a lot of the time to the short side of the field to be able to get to the corner and outrun some of those outside Makes backs. No sense. It doesn't. So again, I don't understand why Jeff Levy didn't give Dylan the opportunity. He, you know, he's a guy that's played a, tr- a long, a lot of football. He's a fifth year senior. Why you didn't give him the opportunity? Why you didn't trust him? 
uh, to be able to go out there and win the game with his arm late in the fourth quarter. Kansas knew, Adam, on that drive when we got the ball with just a few minutes left after the Ethan Downs interception, which if Oklahoma would have won that game, that would have been a play that we've been ta- we would be talking about for a long, long time. But when we got the ball back after the after the Downs pick, Kansas knew that we were going to try and kill the clock and force them to use their timeouts. All we needed was one, maybe two first downs, and you can call three. And what Levy decides to do is you call three straight running plays up the gut with Javante Barnes instead of trying to get the ball over the middle to Drake Stoops to pick out a, to pick up a first down. Quick throw, quick out route to Jalil Farouk. He's really good with the ball in his hands. You know, let him give him an opportunity to make a play one on one with the corner to pick up some yards. And I mean, seriously, if you're Jeff Levy or Demarco or Bill. Beanbo, why can we not figure things out from a personnel standpoint eight games into the season i know that the flu was going around a few of these guys over the course you know of the week leading up to the game but what the heck is going on during the week of practice that prevents us from being able to get the best 11 on the field consistently on saturdays you mentioned that last drive it's one that after the game, Jeff Levy in press conference and media basically said that, yeah, we thought our best chance was to, you know, get the ball punted back to them uh, with no timeouts left and they'd have to drive down the field to score. That's not a decision your offensive coordinator makes, in my opinion. That's a head coach decision mm-hmm. that comes down of, hey, what are we going to do on third and nine, on third and eight? Mm-hmm. Okay, let's let's run the ball. Now, Venables is a defensive guy. Maybe he thinks that's the best pathway forward. But I think this is a learning moment for Brent Venables, whether he told Levy, hey, stick to the ground game and, and don't give up on it. Maybe he told him that. Maybe he told them, uh, you know, hey, run the ball on this last possession. We'll just run as much time as we can. If we get the first down, we get it. If we don't, we punt. Maybe that was his strategy. I, I kind of think that either Brent Venables made the decision to do that or he didn't, he didn't step in and say, hey, no, let's let Dylan Gabriel have the opportunity to win the game on this play uh, because if he can't do it, then uh, like – we don't deserve to win this anyway. So I kind of wonder if more blame should be put on Brent Venable's shoulders for this play calling situation. There's a lot of in between uh, those bookends, but I, I really do wonder if Brent Venables is more to blame here. Well, Brent Venables is the one that fell on the sword in the post game. He did, and I appreciate that. Absolutely. Like, whether it was his fault or not. He, like, he shouldered, that's how he shouldered every bit of the blame. He didn't cast any of it onto his players. He didn't cast any of it onto his assistant coaches, which, you know, there's there's probably two or three that, you know, we could do a deep dive on on, on how laughable of a performance, you know, either their decisions or, you know, some of the schematics of their personnel group was on yesterday. But, I mean, at the end of the day, Adam, when you look at this, I know that the weather was bad. It was nasty. My brother-in-law, my dad were there. It, you know, it was a little bit windy. It was, you know, raining on and off over the course of the game. It was freezing cold. But Lance Leipold trusted his quarterback, Jason Bean, to go out there and make plays and win the football game. Whether it was making those, you know, deep, you know, making those critical uh, conversion passes, you know, along the sideline, or you know, hitting his tight end Fairchild uh, over the middle of the field on a couple of big plays and some key moments. Um, Oklahoma just simply did not give Dylan Gabriel the opportunity to do so. If it wasn't a quick screen, if it wasn't a bubble route or a handoff, that was not something that Jeff Levy was willing to call. Uh, And again, I just go back to the fact that Nick Anderson, one target. Uh, Jaden Gibson, zero targets, barely played at all. Nick Anderson wasn't even on the field for that final, you know, kind of half-ass Hail Mary play into the end zone. So I just just simply don't know. But Adam, before we touch on things defensively, I do want to – I do want to, you know, you do have to give Kansas some credit. 
They played a good football game. They had a nice game plan coming off of a bye. OU coming into their place, first AP top ten win for Kansas in, uh, in you know over almost forty years right now. So hats off to the Jayhawks. But you talk about the three turnovers, the pick six where you spot him seven points right out of the gate. You've got the Marcus Stripling fumble on the kickoff return where why you've got a defensive end in that position in that game where they've already pooch kicked. Uh, at least once, maybe twice. I'd have to go back and look at it again. It was kind of unintentional into the win because it was it was just such a strong win. But I'm pretty sure Ethan Downs was back there last year, mm-hmm. so this is a this is a common theme for how they've set up their special teams kick return. I I, I get that, but also at the same time, I mean, you you could put you know, yeah, it shouldn't be it shouldn't happen. You could put a Jaron Canick back there that's got the hands, but also the size to be able to hold up in the blocking game. You could put a tight end back there. I know Stogner is is on the the kickoff return team, but you know you could put a Jake Smith back there in that position, knowing. Knowing the yeah. elements and knowing that they were kicking into a strong win and the ball was probably ultimately not going to get back to, you know, LV Bunkley, Shelton, or Jalil Farouk, that was just kind of another coaching decision that I just kind of scratched my head at the time. And then we talked about the Jalil Farouk fumble. So you had three turnovers. Uh, Oklahoma was two for 10 on third downs. You had, you know, double digit penalties, well over 100 yards. Oklahoma shot themselves in the foot time and time again. And Kansas pretty much gave them five or six opportunities. They were trying to basically say, hey, go win this game. Go take it. We're refusing to take it ourselves. And Oklahoma just simply couldn't get out of their own way and couldn't bring it home. Yeah. Defensively, I kind of walked away from this. And this one's where I think I maybe changed my perception a little bit a day later of (laughs) – you know what? I think it was it was kind of okay. You held both running backs below five yards per carry. These guys were well above that coming into the game. Jason Bean, I don't think you did the best job of. I think there was a lot of times where the motion and the shifts really hurt this defense. I know earlier today, Teddy Lehman said that, no, he didn't agree with that. He thinks that OU was lined up pretty well. I disagree with that. Uh, he's probably right. <laughs> he played the game at a very high level, so he's probably right. But from my uh, untrained eye, I, I didn't think that. I thought there were several times where I was like, man, we needed a timeout here. We're not lined up. Um, this doesn't look very good. And I think, again, so as you will talk about here in a second, but I think that will turn more in OU's favor. But we talk about missed tackling. That's guys that are in poor position most often. We saw so many times guys, arms extended, reaching out, trying to arm tackle these running backs, not getting shoulders mm-hmm. or bodies on guys. And that's due to guys not being in the right position. Um, they're not lined up correctly. They're responding to motion. Their assignments aren't, you know, locked in. Um, so credit Kansas for uh, coming in with a game plan that uh, really confused this defense, in my opinion. But otherwise, I thought I thought defense was okay. They made the critical plays in the fourth quarter to try to win this game. I don't really fault them for that final drive all that much. No, and Adam, we talked about it on this on this episode a week ago, going into the KU game. That the ultimately the thing that was going to impact had the biggest impact on whether or not Oklahoma could win this game against Kansas was Oklahoma's ability to limit the rushing attack from these two running backs in, in Neal and Highshaw. And if you would have told me that Oklahoma would outrush Kansas by over 40 yards, we would limit Neal and Highshaw to less than five yards of carry closer to four, then I would have thought that absolutely no no chance Kansas would have had to win this game on Saturday. But Again, Oklahoma just made the made the critical mistakes. Yes, they did have a couple of good turnovers towards the end of the game. The Ethan Downs interception, Kendall Dolby made a really nice play in coverage, getting the deflection, allowing Billy Bowman to pick things off. But uh, again, d- despite those two plays, and it goes back over to the offense not being able to execute in crunch time, there were still a, a couple of moments, and the biggest one that comes to mind was <clears throat> even on the final drive where Oklahoma had the one-point lead, Key Lawrence dropping the interception, hits him right in the hands between the numbers. That seals the deal 
for Oklahoma. And we're having a much, you know, less intense conversation on this episode if Oklahoma does find a way to escape. But again, there's like three dropped interceptions. Oh, for in sure. The the, but to yeah. me, Adam, the defense played well enough to win this game yesterday. I, ch- I chalked this loss up mostly to the offense. Now, there were some good and the bad with Oklahoma's defensive performance yesterday. We'll start with the bad. This was not the Oklahoma defense that we've seen through the first seven games of the season. The the aggressiveness, the the punch you in the mouth type of mentality, the physicality was not there yesterday. I thought that our defensive line kind of got pushed around for the most part. There wasn't any pass rush, a ton of missed tackles. For for whatever reason, we kind of kind of just chalked it up to maybe we respected Jason Bean's likes too much. A lot of three man, four man pressures we weren't able to get home. And we were really kind of able to, you know, allow Kansas to run the football and allow Jason Bean to kind of sit back there and pick us apart on some drives from the pocket. But uh, the defense was on the heels for for most of the day, and you just can't play that way against an offense like Kansas's. Too many missed tackles. Too many times we had a chance to get the Jayhawks off the field on third and fourth down. You know, we just simply gave up too many big plays on the ground and through the air in critical moments. And again, even though there was a lot of bad. Is there a bright spot, Adam, that you take away from the defensive performance going into Bedlam on Saturday? Because I can think of one. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure where you're going to go with this. I think that they responded well throughout the game still. Mm -hmm. That seems to be a constant theme that Mm -hmm. even when they weren't super successful at all times, they still came back and made some some critical plays Mm -hmm. there. Um, You know, I guess Kip Lewis might get some more playing time with the uh, Danny Stutzman injury potentially, but... You don't want that at the expense of Stutzman coming off the field. No, not at all. And the Stutzman injury, that was a gunch, uh, a gut punch. You know, Although I thought that Kip Lewis played really well, I'm really excited about this kid's future because to me, when you look at what Kip Lewis does throughout the course of a game, whether it's instincts or you know being able to read things and react, I think that he plays he played a lot better than Jaron Kanick yesterday. For, for a huge portion of that game after after Danny went down. But, you know, if Danny can't go or if he's not 100% on Saturday for Bedlam, I think that you expect Kip Lewis to get a lot of run, maybe even potentially get the start in place of Danny Stutzman on Saturday. And when you look at what uh, Oklahoma State's starting to put together, kind of, there's no doubt about it what the offensive identity is for that football team, and it is Ollie Gordon. You know, Oklahoma fans should expect a big, big dose of Ollie on Saturday. And, you, you know, if Danny can't go – then I think that, you know, stopping the run game, just like we said against Kansas, stopping the run game is critical for Oklahoma to have success against uh, Oklahoma State on Saturday. So, again, I'm not I'm not throwing Jaron Kanick under the bus by any stretch of the imagination. This is only a year and a half. He's, you know, fully been devoted to playing, you know, linebacker, uh, you know, in his football career. But I think you got to go with Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie on Saturday. You've got to beef up that front seven. They're going to try and run the ball down your throat on Saturday. They're going to try to get Ollie going from the jump. So, yeah, give me Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie at the linebacker position uh, as we go into Bedlam on Saturday. Yeah, I think definitely stacking the box against Oklahoma State is going to be one of the big mm-hmm. keys to having some success there. And quietly, like, Gingery Williams didn't play on Saturday. At least I never noticed him on the field. I think he was there. suited out but, but uh, actually never made the field there. And if you're going to stack the box against Oklahoma State, I don't want uh, Kanai Walker or Connie Walker out there. Um, I want Gentry Williams to, to be my guy that's, that's taken over that lockdown corner spot mm-hmm. because I think that's what you're going to have to do. You're going to have to dare Alan Bowman to beat you through the air. And I know he has against OU like a decade ago when he was at Texas Tech. Um, but Ollie Gordon is how this offense runs. And if you're able to limit him, I mean, he went up against a, a better run defense statistically against Cincinnati and still put up 
270 some yards yeah. against them. So I think you're going to have to slow them down. OU is going to have to be excellent in first down rush defense, the way that they've been throughout most of the year to, to try to force Alan Bowman to throw the ball mm-hmm. as much as possible. Because um, if, if he beats you, you take that. You take Absolutely. That say, which is not our day. We're not the better team there, mm-hmm. but you can't let Ollie Gordon just continue to gash you and gash you the way he has to everybody else so far the last five games. Well, and that's a decision that Brent Venables and this defensive coaching staff is going to have to make. You know, it's, as we sit here at 6.30, 7.30 p.m. on a Saturday, on a Sunday night, the game plan for Oklahoma State is currently being worked on as we speak, probably being finalized. So you go into this matchup against the Cowboys. For Oklahoma to have success, you, you pray – for the overall health of some of your guys getting him back, like a Danny Stutzman, Peyton Bowen. I know we saw him in the final drive up in Lawrence yesterday, but you even Reggie Pearson, even he's sitting Reggie out the Pearson, first half, right? Yeah. And so yeah, he would be perfect for this game. Plan. Absolutely. But I think that this is going to be a game plan when you go up against this cowboy, you know, offensive attack where you've got to trust your corners out on an island and key stretch of this game because you're going to have to commit yourself to you know seven eight guys in a box you're going to have to walk your safeties whether it's billy bowman or key lawrence or peyton bowen i would hope that we could see a little bit more of robert spears jennings you know this is kind of feels like a game that sets up well for him you know with his size and the level of physicality that he plays with but you've you've got to trust your corners on saturday to be able to hold up in coverage out on an island because you're going to have to commit seven, eight, nine guys at a time to be able to come in and stop Ollie Gordon, you know, especially, you know, first and second down, be able to force them into some obvious passing situations because if they can stay ahead of the chains on Saturday, if Ollie Gordon, you know, can can get them into a second and five, second and four uh, type situation, then it's going to be a long day for Oklahoma uh, defensively because then they're going to be able to have the full playbook at their disposal uh, to be able to kind of pick and choose how they want to attack OU on Saturday. A lot less motion, a lot less uh, shift in formation for Oklahoma State. They're more of just, hey, we're going to run downhill almost, mm-hmm. almost like a traditional I formation team because they do a lot of pistol set there. Mm-hmm. But a lot of you know, they have dual cowboy backs, as I like to call them, those H back tight end hybrids that are going to pull constantly and go meet you in the hole. I kind of think this, I think it fits well for what Brent Venables and what we've seen out of this defense, you know, so far has done. Mm-hmm doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a, a game where OU's defense just shines and we shut them out or anything like that. But um, I, I think it I think it fits a lot better for what Brent Venables is able to attack. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to be good on first down. Like you mentioned, you can't get into the second and fours because yeah, sure. they're going to eat you alive sure. um, there. Let's talk a little bit about the offensive side of the ball and the matchup that OU's going to face there. I want to ask you, though, with Jeff Levy, he kind of lost his swagger against Kansas in that play calling. You know, he's a a guy who's been in the profession for a long time, so I'm not worried about his mentality as a coach, but how do you think he gets his swagger back as a play caller that's going to be able to push the ball downfield in great weather conditions? Yeah, obviously the forecast for Saturday Bedlam looks a lot better than the one that we experienced in uh, in Lawrence 24 hours ago, but the biggest way to get your swagger back, trust your quarterback. Obviously, he's played a shit ton of football for you, both you know at the collegiate level, but also three years in the system where you're calling the plays for this kid. He's seen everything that you could possibly throw at him. Bedlam's going to be a hostile atmosphere. Oklahoma State fans, they've been looking forward to this ever since the announcement where OU was going to be leaving the Big 12, going into the SEC. This is the final Bedlam for quite some time. You know, Oklahoma State, we you know we gave them a lot of shit. We talked, you know, we laughed at them after the South Alabama loss. Well. You look up here, you know, as we sit here on uh, on October 29th, Oklahoma State is tied for first place in the Big 12, sitting here at 4-1 and one with four other teams in the league. So they've got everything, every goal that Mike Gundy's crew had to start out the regular season with a Big 12 uh, championship appearance ultimately being the biggest one 
It's right out there in front of them. They have an opportunity on Saturday. You've got a wounded Oklahoma team coming into your stadium. It's going to be rocking. Uh, 2.30 kickoff. You know, all the Pope fans are going to have the opportunity to get get a little bit more juiced up uh, for this one. And you got to trust your quarterback. If you're going to go into this game and you're going to have the same kind of pussyfoot mentality where we're going to just try to – we're just going to try to line up and run the football to you. If we're going to let Dylan throw the ball, we're going to do the little quick screens. We're going to try to get Gavin uh, the, the ball in the backfield to try to get around the perimeter. I'm not saying that that stuff isn't effective, but there's times where it's not warranted. It's times where it's not – it's almost kind of a negative towards the overall, you know – momentum of your offense and so again run the football try to establish it if you can't then revert back to what we were doing the first five six seven weeks of the season where we weren't able to consistently run the football so give dylan gabriel the opportunity to drop back spread the defense out give your wide receivers the opportunity to in some one-on-one matchups to make some plays and for god's sakes get the ball in your playmakers hands farouk anderson gibson drake stoops Go down swing and get back to that aggressive mentality. You know, uh, go out there and don't coach scared. Go out there and try to, you know, take the fight to Oklahoma State on Saturday and do what you have to do to score some points because it's going to take, I think it's going to take 30 plus to beat OSU on Saturday. And we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in our prediction. I 100% agree with you. I, I think there should be a ton of confidence. The weather should be pristine it should be great for throwing the ball down the field no reason not to with dylan gabriel but also at the same time you just had your best rushing performance of the year mm-hmm. it feels like Tommy walker is very solidified as the guy so and you're going up against cowboy defense that t- statistically is not great uh really against the run or the pass now they'll play out of their minds they will play as a top 30 defense on saturday i guarantee it sure. um, but i think oh you should feel a lot of confidence that hey we just had a weather game that we didn't really give our guy an opportunity. Now we're going to go into a great game where we can say, hey, we've got both arms of the offense ready to attack here. Mm-hmm. I've got a little bit different idea, though, on how Jeff Levy could regain his swagger. I want him to start channeling some Barry Switzer here. How about 1980 Oklahoma, as you're seeing <laughs> on the screen here, if you're watching YouTube, a little plug for Red and West, our sponsor here at the podcast. They got the 1980 coaches polo. I want Jeff Levy to put on one of these polos because in 1980, J.C. Watts and the Sooners put up 63 in Bedlam against uh, Oklahoma State. So I think he needs some of that swagger. He needs some of that Barry Switzer swagger to come back and say, um, I almost said something that I I guess we already have the explicit uh, tag on our podcast this (laughs) week, but um, he needs to just come in swinging, uh, really. So, uh, you know, he he really went into a shell, and I don't know if that was – Jeff Levy going into a shell or if that was Brent Venables saying go into the shell like we're we're winning this game with running and defense but I think this is an opportunity you know these games have been shootouts for a reason so I want to put on the polo from Red and West uh, and uh, and get some of that Barry Switzer swagger going uh, to uh, to try to really say hey we're the big dog we've got the better athletes we don't care how good Oklahoma State's been over the last several weeks we're going to take the fight to you guys anyway yeah 100% when you talk about Red and West you talk about comfort you talk about style and you talk about affordability. And Adam, I'm going to be making the trip right back down. You know, whether I'm going to be making the trip back down to Norman here in a couple of weeks, and you best believe the uh, the Red and West apparel is going to be packed up in the suitcase. You talk about the hats, the t-shirts, the quarter zips, the pullovers. They've got anything and everything for your game day attire needs. Uh, so definitely check out Red and West, and hopefully, uh, 
We'll see if we can't get some of the uh, guys at Red and West. Maybe we uh, give them Jeff Levy's address, see if we can't get some shipped over there, kind of change up the mojo a little bit for this offensive staff uh, as we head to Stillwater on Saturday. Because they they got to fix something. Because you you go with that same game plan, you only give Dylan Gabriel the opportunity to throw the ball 12 times over the course of three and a half quarters, you're going to get run out of the stadium on Saturday. And now we're going to be having a much, much different conversation about this football team and the direction that they're headed. Anything else on uh, Bedlam before you give a score prediction? No, I mean, obviously we're doing the set. We've got some different things going on this week. That's, you know, kind of, kind of uh, minimizing the amount of time that we're going to be able to podcast and do some coverage. But I mean, as it kind of sits here right now, you, you look at what Oklahoma state's been able to do since the South Alabama loss. They've been able to really, you know, find their identity offensively. They're playing much better defense on that side of the football. But when you watch this team play, what we think is Oklahoma's strength defensively, is stopping the run in that front seven. Yes, Danny Sussman's health is going to be a huge factor for this game on Saturday, but Oklahoma's offense should be able to find some success consistently in Stillwater on Saturday against Oklahoma State's defense. So for that reason, if you can if you can get back to where we were before the Texas game where you had that killer instinct, you had the chip on your shoulder, you felt like you know it was Oklahoma versus the world, you kind of have that a little bit more now in your back pocket to lean on because after the game on to you know after the loss to Kansas on Saturday, whether it's the Brandon Walkers of the world, some of the people on social media, Oklahoma's kind of the laughing stock of college football right now and what a difference two weeks make, obviously the highs and lows of this sport. So get back to your roots, find that toughness, play with physicality, play with aggression, and take the fight to Oklahoma State on Saturday. Dictate the way that they play the game based on your terms and how you want to execute. So what's your score prediction at the end of the day? Good God. I knew you were going to put me on the spot here. <laughs> um, Adam, I think that there are – I think that the last two weeks have shown us that there is a there is a little bit of a problem with this football team. Now, I'm not saying that they were – I'm not saying that they're out, you know, there's not enough talent. I'm not saying that these players are not playing hard. They obviously are, but I think that there's there's an issue within the coaching staff, particularly on the offensive side of the football, with the personnel decisions and, you know, ultimately with, you know, the game plan that's being created. And for that reason, Oklahoma's what right now? Six and a half point favorite going to Stillwater on Saturday. I forget FanDuel. I think it opened it around correct, seven. Yeah. Okay. The numbers continue to, to dwindle uh, as we approach, you know, late in the evening on Sunday night. But I think that this this is more about Oklahoma State on Saturday. And like I said, the fans, the program, you know that uh, Mike Gundy's been looking forward to this matchup. It's the final bedlam before Oklahoma, you know, leaves the Big 12 to go to the SEC. And unless we get the poke choke, unless Mike Gundy finds just another way to screw this thing up, I just think that there's so much momentum on Oklahoma State side right now. And Oklahoma's backed into a corner. They're in wounded dog mode. And I, th- I expect them to come out and put out a really good effort on Saturday. But the health of this football team, particularly on the defensive side of the football, we don't know if we're going to see Stutzman. Gentry's a big concern. How healthy is Peyton Bowen? Reggie Pearson's out for the first half. I think that it spells a, a uh, an upset win for uh, Oklahoma State on Saturday. So for that reason, as we sit here six days out before the game, I'm going to predict Oklahoma State to upset the Sooners on Saturday, 34 to 31. <laughs> Field goal for OU in there. I, I really wonder if they would actually attempt one still because we didn't see one uh, in Lawrence. I'm 
I'm of the opinion, I've said it a couple times here on the podcast, I think this offensive game plan uh, from Oklahoma State fits a lot better for what this defense uh, is able to to defend much better, even without Danny Stutzman. I, I think you like the depth at linebacker. Now we'll see if Oklahoma State can find some ways to attack some of those young linebackers if Stutzman is not out there. But I think we're... It's so easy to look at the last two games for OU and go, oh, they have no momentum. They suck. They, uh, there's no way they can go on the road and play this Oklahoma State team that's just surging right now. But you could also look at before the UCF game and say, oh, wow, look at all this momentum for Oklahoma. There's no way that UCF can come in here and give them a game. They're terrible. They haven't beaten a, you know, a, a Power 5 team so far this year. It's college football. Things change week to week. These guys are kids. They're resilient. They bounce back. I do wonder about their mentality um, in regards to, you know, hey, I don't know. I'm sure that they think that they should have executed better (laughs) against Kansas. But, um, you know, a lot of they're going to see the social media. They're going to see, oh, it was the play calling. Oh, it was the coaches. And I wonder, you know, how much bounce back they have there. But still, at the end of the day, in a game that's probably going to be close because it's bedlam, we've seen Mike Gundy curl up into his shell a lot in this game. And I think Brent Venables is still the better coach. I think OU still has the better players here. And when it comes down to a close game, especially with these weather conditions, I do think the team with the better quarterback is going to win out at the end of the day. So I've got Oklahoma 41, Oklahoma State 40. I think it's one for the ages in the last game. I think it's going to be absolutely crazy. Uh, and uh, I do have OU pulling it out just because I think it's so – you can't look at just last week or just UCF. You have to look at the full picture. And I think still we, we believe this team is much better than Oklahoma State. So Adam, uh, I'm going to pick the Sooners still. Adam, you know that from a motivation and a leadership standpoint, Brent Venables is going to get this team focused. They're going to get back on track. But your the coaching only goes so far – You've got to have that leadership, that you know, that uh, that dog mentality from some of the leaders within that locker room uh, that are on the roster. And you think about some of the kids on OU's roster that grew up in this state. Bedlam has a little bit, a <clears throat> little bit of a different meaning to them because they grew up in the state. Your family's either wearing crimson or they're wearing that god awful orange. So you look at a player like Trace Ford. You look at a player like Ethan Downs. Gavin Freeman is another one. These guys that grew up in this rivalry, they know the meaning behind it. They know what that trip to Stillwater is going to look like on Saturday. And again, I think we talked about, Adam, I said this right after the Texas game going into UCF, how Oklahoma responds against UCF and Kansas after that, you know, one of the biggest wins, I think, in the program uh, since the, the 2017 win against Ohio State. How you respond when adversity hits, how you, <clears throat> excuse me, how you pick yourself up off the mat and respond says more about the culture and the direction and what Brent Venables is building. So if this football team has made strides, if we think that they are going on the right path and they find a way to go into Bedlam on Saturday, I don't care if you win by 20. I don't care if you win by win or win by one, it's going to be a hostile environment. It's a rivalry game, throw the records, all the everything going into this uh, out the window, find a way to go into Bedlam on Saturday, get, get yourself to five to one in big 12 conference play. Because if, Essentially, to me, Texas plays K-State and Austin. OU goes to Stillwater to take on OSU. Those are two elimination games for me in the in the race for the Big 12 championship, being one of the two teams to represent your conference in that game. And Oklahoma's got to figure out a way to go into Bedlam on Saturday uh, and squeak out a win. 
speaking of mentality, we went to Twitter and we said, hey, you know, what is going to have to happen? What's going to have to be corrected for OU to go out and win this Bedlam game? Uh, I'll highlight two responses that we got. First one from KG Okie Boy uh, saying, play like our hair is on fire. I don't think we've seen that in the two weeks since Texas uh, really at all. Maybe for a brief moment early in the second quarter against Kansas where we were just dominating physically, but that went away pretty quickly. So I think there needs to be some urgency, especially on offense um, and along the offensive line and probably within the coaches. And I'll, I think they'll see a lot this week in practice. So uh, I wholeheartedly agree with, mm-hmm. with KG Okie boy. And then uh, the darks Vader basically saying guard spots need to be solidified, quit rotating the guards there. Uh, so kind of echoing what, <laughs> what we've been saying this entire time. Yeah. Of like, just figure out who your best offensive linemen are and stick with them. I don't think it's, Sorry, Troy Everett. I think you need to be the center, you know, in, in a future season. It's probably not the right fit at guard this year. You've got two really good ones and uh, McKay Matoyer and Caden Green. Stick with those guys. If you need to get someone in for an injured Walter Rouse, like do it. But uh, I think those are your guards. You got to stick with those guys. Yeah, I obviously I had to work today, so I haven't had a chance to listen to uh, Gabe and Teddy's reaction from the game. But I would expect that when uh, it comes time for Gabe to break down the offensive line performance from yesterday, I wouldn't think that there's going to be too many kind words said. But yeah. Uh, you know, uh, the Darks Fairy makes a really good point. You got to solidify that guard spot going into this matchup on Saturday. We saw four different players at both of those guard positions on Saturday. And, uh, you know, obviously health being a concern, but if McCade Matower is healthy enough to play, he's going to be playing right guard. It's what can you get production wise out of that left guard spot? I still think that Savion Bird has the highest upside, but, you know, eight weeks in the season, you can only judge, you can only be judged on what you've done on the field. Through the first two months of the season, I ultimately think I would go with Caden Green to start things off, give him another week of practice, put him next to, uh, you know, uh, Walter Rouse and, you know, right next to uh, Andrew Rame as well. But um, you've got to find some consistency because I, I don't I think that outside of, you know, a running backs, a running backs consistency playing, getting carries, being able to, uh, you know, find a rhythm. I don't think that the off I think that the offensive line, excuse me, is probably the position on a football team where you need that continuity. You need those, you know, reps time and time again with the same group of five guys uh, to be able to, you know, feed off one another, know that, okay, if this person's shuffling this way, I know that this guy's going to be able to kick out here and pick him up. Whereas if you're rotating between eight or nine guys, uh, you're essentially shifting your offensive line makeup every other drive. Then yeah, I mean, make no mistake about it. It's gonna it's gonna be difficult to find consistency and play with an edge and uh, be able to build some momentum uh, uh, from a performance standpoint. Let's wrap up the show with our best bets. Uh, we both tied. We went three and two this past weekend, so I maintain my half game lead going into week ten here. Probably the tightest this contest has been in the entire four seasons uh, this late into the year. So I'll go first. I'm going to go to Thursday night, TCU going on the road to Lubbock at Texas Tech. Horn Frogs are two and a half point underdogs. I think the Horn Frogs actually pull this victory out. Both teams playing backup quarterbacks that they didn't intend to uh, be playing at this point in the year. But I just think TCU is a much better team. I'm not taking too much stock into what K-State did to them uh, a week ago. Um, so both teams coming off the bye, but I like the Horn Frogs there. Yeah, I, I thought about putting that one on my card as well. Texas Tech is just a much different team at home, so for that reason, I kind of stayed away from it. So pick number one for me, uh, going out to the SEC, Texas A&M, going up to Oxford to take on Ole Miss. Rebels currently a four-and-a-half-point favorite. I, I know that Texas A&M has a really, really good defense, but for me, the reason why I'm going to go with Ole Miss in this situation, Adam, is because I trust Jackson Dart way more than I do Max Johnson. And if I, the fact that I can get this less than one one touchdown um, type score, give me the old Miss to cover the four and a half number uh, and knock off Jimbo's crew. 
This is my back page game. Uh, basically, two teams on the back page of scoring offense in the entire country. Navy going on the road at Temple in Philadelphia. Uh, I'm going under 41 and a half there. I like pick number two for me. Uh, coming right back here to the Big 12. Fox, big noon kickoff game of the week. Kansas State traveling down to Austin to take on the Longhorns. Like I said, to me, this is an elimination game in the race for the Big 12 title. Uh, K-State currently a five and a half point underdog. To me, Adam, I know that Texas has got the skill talent advantage. I know that they've got a really, really good defense. But for me, because of the fact that Quinn Ewers is not playing, and I know that Malik Murphy had his ups and downs, obviously in his first collegiate start on Saturday, I think that this number is a little bit too high. So give me the give me the Wildcats and Chris Kleiman to go on the road and uh, cover the five and a half. And I actually think they win the game outright. I hope you're right. I'm very curious to see what happens there in Austin. My number three, I'm going to Notre Dame on the road at Clemson. I think we may get the uh, Tigers booed. I, I bet their Ooh. fans are, are going to be pretty unhappy with them. I'm taking the Irish to cover the three here. I, I don't know how this game is even that close, honestly. Yeah, it's, to me, I, that was way too close for comfort. It's too obvious. But like Dabo said, maybe you know, maybe we, they just need to lose a few more games to get people off the bandwagon. And I think that they're looking at their <laughs> – Until there's nobody left. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so we'll, we'll see what, uh, what the Irish bring to the table on Saturday. But pick number three for me – Going out to the Pac-12, Adam, this is another one that feels way too good to be true. Washington going to the Coliseum to take on USC. I know that the storylines are going to be Caleb Williams versus Michael Penix, but for me, this is all about which team do I trust more to get us to get an extra stop or two compared to the other uh, the other team. So for that reason, I'm going to take Washington minus three uh, to knock off Lincoln Riley. If things go bad in Bedlam again, this might be a fun one to watch. <laughs> it might be a, a little pick-me-up game again. My number four, I'm going to a, a big game in the SEC, LSU on the road at Alabama. I'm going to take the over on 59.5. I definitely think the winner of this game uh, scores 30-plus. Uh, and LSU does not have a very good defense, so I think that Bama will be able to roll, but LSU being one of the most elite offenses in the country. So uh, I think there's going to be some points scored there in Tuscaloosa. I like it. I'm going to go out to the SEC as well. Missouri coming off of a bye week, going up to Athens to take on Georgia. Obviously, Georgia coming off the uh, the big-time win in the rivalry game over Florida. I'm going to stay away from the spread in this one because Georgia, I think, is favored at 17 right now. That's a lot of points. I know that Georgia's good, but Missouri coming off of a bye, you never really know. But despite that, I still think that Georgia's defense has the ability to really limit the scoring from from uh, from the Tigers and Eli Drinkwitz's crew. So for that reason, and the fact that Missouri's front seven has been playing pretty good football over the last couple of weeks, I think that this game stays relatively uh, relatively low scoring. So give me the under fifty six and a half. I couldn't decide what to do for my number five, and when you can't decide what to do there, you just go YOLO and you go to the most fun, this the most is exciting so game that you could possibly put on there. Iowa at Northwestern game being played played at Wrigley Field. And of course you got to take the under. It's 30 and a half on FanDuel right now. I know some other sites have it at 29 and a half, which I think is the lowest total ever. ever. Uh, that's ever. kind of crazy to me. Uh, th there's got to be some games that are lower, but maybe they didn't have records of that, you know, back in the, I don't know, 70s, 80s or whatever. But um, yeah, I'm just YOLOing that a little bit. I, it's so low, but it seems so realistic. So I'll take the under. All right. I like it. Pick number five for me. I'm going to kind of go with the same approach. <clears throat> that I had when I picked the OU Texas game, kind of the reverse jinx. I hope that this is some good juju. We can get things swing back in our favor. Like we talked about the final bedlam in Stillwater, OU OSU tied for first place in the big 12. This is the biggest game in Stillwater in quite some time. 
Oklahoma State is a six and a half point underdog. It started at, uh, I think it started at nine and a half on some sites late last night. This thing opened up on FanDuel. It's been all the way bet down to six and a half right now. I would expect that number to drop even further as we get closer to kickoff, especially with some of the some of the rumblings about OU and some key positions being uh, not quite fully healthy. So for that reason, all the all the pressures on Oklahoma this weekend. All of the excitement and the momentum and the hatred is on the side of Oklahoma State this weekend, and I just think that they are they are going to make just enough plays to be able to put this out of reach for Oklahoma. So for that reason, give me OSU plus six and a half. <laughs> Pressure sometimes creates diamonds, so we shall see. Uh, should be should be a fun one up in Stillwater. We're going to be back again next week to recap Bedlam and to look ahead to West Virginia. Hopefully it's a little bit more positive podcast. We'd love to have a little bit more of a upbeat conversation. So we'll keep our fingers crossed. We appreciate everyone listening and, and definitely appreciate everyone watching on YouTube as well. Um, this part of the podcast probably won't make it to YouTube, but most watched uh, podcast on our YouTube channel in like the last six months or so this past week. So it's got to be the Red and West. Appreciate. It's got to be the Red and West. <laughs> it's got to be the Red and West. That's right. We greatly appreciate uh, them for sponsoring us and everyone for listening and uh, participating there on Twitter uh, for all of our, our fun little questions there. So uh, thanks everyone. And we will see you again next week for the next episode of the Mainline Podcast.